837, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Three big things coming up in just a minute. But if you want to understand how screwed up the revolving door criminal justice system is in Milwaukee County, I have a case in point for you. Now, the, the way the system works is you have Milwaukee County judges who are elected and almost are never opposed when they, they run. So once you get in there, you're pretty much there for life unless you really screw up. And then you have what are known as court commissioners. Court commissioners are lawyers that are hired by the chief judge who act sort of as junior judges. And they, they make a pretty good buck, too. They, they, they hear preliminary stuff. They set bail. They do things like that. A lot of times the court commissioners are, are people who are known to are known to the judges. Um, sometimes they're friends, acquaintances, people that have practiced around, and that, that's kind of the progression uh, of getting to be a, a court commissioner. And again, they, they do routine stuff like setting bail. Let me tell you the story of a guy named Kevin Robinson. Now, Kevin Robinson was charged in October of last year with trafficking of a child, two counts, kidnapping, burglary, armed with a dangerous weapon, and armed robbery with threat of force. And essentially the, the allegations against him, and, and these are just these are just allegations, but this was a part of a it was part of a an overall investigation that was done with federal, state, and local officials. Um, the US Marshals allege that Robinson was running an illegal prostitution network throughout Wisconsin. According to the complaint, prosecutors allege that Robinson used this um, website, Backpage.com, to engage in his prostitution scheme. Um, They believe that Robinson befriended vulnerable young women across the state and then manipulated and sometimes threatened them to perform sex acts with clients he solicited. In December of 2015, police say Robinson told a 15-year-old girl he could help her get money. He allegedly met with her and another adult at a Motel 6 in Oak Creek. Prosecutors say alcohol and marijuana were taken to the hotel room, um, and the man paid $200 for sex acts. Robinson is alleged to have been involved in similar activity in Buffalo Grove, Illinois, uh, Sheboygan, and in Milwaukee. Okay, so... They also say that through their investigation, they believe he was becoming increasingly more aggressive towards women in his network. Some victims described fearing retribution if they didn't do what he ordered. All right, so you've got a guy who is accused of really, really serious stuff. He has been a fugitive since last October when the charges came out. Uh, Channel 6, Fox 6, they do this thing on, on Wisconsin's Most Wanted. And they did a they did a feature on him. I think it was Friday night, and I don't know if they got tips or what. But after this feature ran, um, U.S. Marshals, the authorities, they went out and they some I don't know somebody tell them where he was, but they found him. And at least according to the prosecutor, at least according to the prosecutor, when this guy who had been a fugitive for several months. When he was apprehended, here's what the prosecutor said in court. He was only apprehended as he was trying to flee out of the back down the stairs. So the cops are coming in. He's trying to run. He's been a fugitive for several months. He's charged with all sorts of really, really nasty things. All right. He appears in front of a court commissioner, former public defender named J.C. Moore. All right. 
court commissions. Here you've got a guy charged with essentially running an interstate prostitution ring who has been on the lam since October. He's got all sorts of nasty charges, five felonies, um, two counts of trafficking of a child, armed burglary, armed robbery. He's been on the lam, and at least according to the prosecutor, he tries to run when they catch him only after he's been featured on Channel 6 as Wisconsin's Most Wanted. So he goes in front of this court commissioner, J.C. Moore, the guy who's supposed to set bail. Now, Hondo, who is producing the show today, all right, you are the court commissioner. These are the allegations. The guy's been charged since October. They haven't found him. According to the prosecutor, he tries to run. That's what she says. He's charged with all these nasty things. Would you consider him to maybe be somebody who was subject to, oh, a pretty high bail, perhaps? Yeah, Hondo says, of course. Anybody, anybody would realize that this is someone who should be set with a high bail. Well, he appears in front of Court Commissioner J.C. Moore, who, again, is a former public defender. And the bail that is set, $500. $500. With the condition that he not have any contact with three of the witnesses or anyone else who is a victim or a possible witness in the case. So $500, and don't you have any contact with the witness? I would say that this was a joke, but that would be to insult jokes. If you want to understand how screwed up Milwaukee County court system is, it, it starts with these bail decisions that are absolutely, totally unbelievable. Now, I don't know if this is a product of this computer system they use where they put in this information and you've got the court commissioners just blindly follow it, but who in their right mind would think that a sentence, a bail like this, in a case where the guy has been wanted for months, yes, my producer notes that there are studio apartments that charge higher rent than that, absolutely, $500 for a guy who, and again, we're not talking about somebody who is accused of jaywalking. We are talking about someone who is accused of human trafficking involving minors who has been wanted since October and is only apprehended, apparently, again, according to the prosecutors, as he's trying to flee. And the court commissioner sets bail at $500. Well, all right. In this particular case, this was so egregious, this was so out of line, that the DA's office, to their credit, decides to appeal this to a real judge, um, somebody who's at least elected, and uh, credit where credit is due. Um, on yesterday, uh, Circuit Judge Joe Donald, who, who hears this, says, you know, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I... I'm going to raise the bail and raises the bail to $150,000. So the guy is still in jail, sets the bail at $150,000. But if I'm if I'm Maxine White, who is the the chief judge now, I, I'm looking at the bails that get set by these court commissioners because you might argue that $150,000 is too high a bail. I don't know. I, I don't necessarily have an issue with it. But how in the right mind can anybody set a bail in a case like this for $500? And how do you go from five hundred dollars to $150,000? Well, it's because the bail should have never been that set that way in the first place. Now, the thing is, this is getting attention because, again, 
the egregious nature of the crimes, the fact that it was featured on Fox 6, and, and the, just the strikingly, incredibly low, inappropriate bail that was set here. But the larger point is this type of stuff goes on on a daily basis in the Milwaukee County court system with both juveniles and with adults. And most of the times, it never gets any attention because, well, I mean, there's only so many of these things that you can pay attention to. This one hit the news because of all the circumstances. But you know what? I mean, if you want to know how screwed up the court system is and you want to understand, you can talk about toughening laws and things. But as long as you have court commissioners that think it's appropriate to set bail in the amount of $500 on cases like this, you are always, always going to have that revolving door system. In this case... All's well that ends well. Case gets appealed to a circuit court judge who sets bail at 150000 But you've got a court commissioner setting bail in cases like this for $500. Three big things comes up next. Stick around. It's 845. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 848. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The legend, the icon, the piano man is coming to Green Bay this summer. Want to win tickets to see Billy Joel at Lambeau Field on June 17th? Well, be listening to my show sometime in the next hour, sometime before 10 o'clock. I will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets. Also, head to WTMJ.com right now to enter to win a premium pair of tickets for the show. Um, and then the tickets, I think, go on sale on Friday as well. But you don't have to wait till Friday. Like I say, sometime between now and 10 o'clock, I am going to be giving away a pair of tickets. All right. We call this Three Big Things. We do this in this segment of the program every day. We also cross-post this at WTMJ.com if you want to get a head start. These are three things that I think you need to know about. Start your day, stuff to discuss at work, stuff to discuss over lunch. Big thing number one, the travel ban issue refuses to go away. Yesterday, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, based out of San Francisco, heard oral arguments on whether or not Donald Trump's temporary immigration halt should be allowed to continue. Everybody knows Trump came out, and while I think the rollout was heavy-handed, what they ended up doing is they said, all right, we've we've identified seven countries that are either on terrorist watch lists or that we think are countries that have higher instances of terrorism and terrorists in them, and what we want to do is we want to temporarily ban immigration from those seven countries until we can establish a better vetting process. Well, of course, all the protests, and again, some of it was because it's rolled out in a heavy-handed fashion. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about a temporary ban on immigration from these seven countries till we can improve vetting. And the reason these countries are identified is because in many cases, there's little or no real government. So the, the concern is from some of these regimes, are they really vetting the people that are leaving the country? Do they know who do they know who is leaving the country? Are they committed to trying to stop terrorism? And so the Trump administration is saying, hey, we want a temporary halt on this. Well, of course, the left's heads explode. They get a judge out of what two states sue, Minnesota and Washington State, saying, well, th- th- this affects us because you know, immigration, this temporary hold is going to affect the residents of our state. How this gives them 
standing is the legal term. I, I'm, I'm still not exactly clear. But anyhow, the case is argued in front of the Ninth Circuit. The Ninth Circuit is the most liberal court in the country, generally recognized the most liberal court in the country. And if you read the commentary on it, all the headlines are justices, two of whom were appointed by Democrats. Judges are very, very skeptical of the Trump administration. All right. 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Is this travel ban really that outrageous? And I, I, I listened to por- a portion of the argument um, when I was replayed late last evening, and, and I heard some of the commentators on this. And, and you, I mean, all this stuff is that you've got all this over-the-top stuff about how this is this is going to keep all Muslims out of the country. Well, all right, we, there, there's a lot more countries that have, are majority Muslim, for example, that aren't affected by this. This is this travel ban, and it's only a ban for a limited period of time. So we can put better vetting in place. It is targeted at a handful of countries. And I'm listening to these arguments about how this is just going to disrupt. This is going to disrupt these states. And this is going to be terrible. And it's going to violate all these constitutional rights. And as I take a step back, I keep thinking, you know, really? I mean, do, do we overreact that much? Is it that unreasonable to say, hey, for 90 days, for 90 days, while we improve vetting, we are going to be putting a temporary halt on immigration from a handful of countries. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Because I confess, as I was listening to some of these arguments yesterday, that whole issue to me was getting lost lost in the fog. Well, you know, is this targeting Muslims or, or what? And I'm thinking, are these judges missing the big point, which is, the President of the United States' duty to try to make this country safe. 414-799-1620. Is this really, this travel ban, is it as dreadful as at least some of the lawyers would have you believe? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 853. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight fifty six, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ, David in Oconomowoc. David, good morning. David. Hello. Hi, David. Good morning. Sorry, there's a little bit of a delay in no. my cell phone reception, but God. thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, the thing that's being missed by all of the left wing, uh, you know, reporters is that there is no mention of religion in the executive order. Um, the other important point that's uh, never talked about is that this is a temporary ban. I think Donald Trump, President Trump, is running this much like he would a business. He's the new CEO of the largest corporation on the planet, the United States of America. He has a division of his company that's not working well, which is immigration. Uh, we have people in, within the company who are actively hostile towards us. And he's saying, let's pause, take a look at how we're doing things, make sure we're doing things that are the best for our company, the United States of America. And uh, then we'll see if our policies that are in place work. And if they don't, we'll come up with something better. But I think that uh, the media has blown us way out of proportion, and uh, they inflame the, they're fanning the flames of uh, all the 
lefty passions that are anti-Trump, and well, I, it makes me kind of sick. Well, it it, it yeah, I mean, thanks for call. I get, and I just, I mean, I kind of take this step back, and I'm, I'm listening to all these horror stories uh, about this, and oh my gosh, and you know, th- this is just, it's hurting our place in the world, and this is going to be terrible, and it's just so anti-religious, and it's anti- it's against the Constitution. Hey, the law, you know, going back to the 50s, gives the president wide latitude when it comes to setting rules with regard to immigration issues, and going back to Ronald Reagan and moving forward, you had various presidents, including Barack Obama. Obama, who would issue all sorts of orders with regard to, uh, again, our immigration policies and our immigration rules. And I will tell you something, David, that I think is incredibly scary, is this idea that we're now going to turn this over to unelected judges who are going to, I don't know, try to restrain the president in matters like this. It's not like what he is doing is contrary to the law. It's not like Barack Obama who would say things like, okay, I'm going to direct my executive branch not to enforce avenues of the law. This is a question of whether, you know, Donald Trump is within his rights in acting under the law as it currently exists. Sort of dangerous, dangerous precedent. But the Ninth Circuit is going to come down with a decision sometime this week. My guess is that they will uphold the travel ban just on the basis of who it was that was on the panel this will end up in the supreme court big thing number two coming up the dakota access pipeline and then melania trump stands to cash another big check 908 jeff wagner 620 wtmj we start off every program with three big things we are right in the middle of that donald trump's travel ban goes to court big thing number two this is a huge huge development But part of the reason, one of the things that goes on now is we have the attention of fruit flies and you have a huge issue and it dominates news coverage for a week or 10 days and then it goes away and people forget about it. Well, big news yesterday, big thing number two, uh, Donald Trump, uh, as I think pretty much as promised, um, has given the direction and the secretary of the army has said, we are going to okay finishing the Dakota Access Pipeline. Now, the Dakota Access Pipeline is a pipeline that is going to be used to transmit oil, or it's going to be used to transmit oil um, from, well, the Dakota areas into uh, Illinois and other places. It runs about 1,100 miles. It, they estimate that what it's going to do by the time, when it is ultimately, when it is ultimately built, it's a 3.7 B as in billion dollar project that will transport about 470,000 barrels of oil a day. It has been almost, uh, construction has been almost completed. Like I say, it's over 1,100 miles, but there's been a controversy that's developed about a seven-mile stretch that would require a federal easement. It would go under federal property um, kind of by um, Lake Oahe. In the Dakotas. And I think this has become a cause celeb. It certainly did last fall. It's become a cause celeb for environmental activists who who really don't like they don't like fossil fuels. They don't like drilling. They, they don't like pipelines. And so they have been protesting this seven mile stretch. At the direction of Barack Obama, the Army put a hold on this, despite the fact that the thing's almost been completely built. Um, they put a hold on this, saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna delay the process." Well, yesterday the army said, "Okay, no more delays. Um, we are going to grant the easement, and so that's going to allow them to complete the pipeline. And theoretically, this thing could be running 
well within the next few months. So now you have some of the activists who are out there screaming how terrible this is because, well, we're being whipsawed. First the Obama administration, first the Army stops it. We're all celebrating. Now the Army says go ahead. Well, the decision to stop this in the first place was a political decision not based on environmental facts, just based on the fact that you had environmental activists who did not like, again, the fact that oil was going to be transported through this pipeline, missing the fact that the oil was going to be coming, for example, from the Dakotas into the rest of the United States by by some method, in maybe trucks, which, candidly, are probably a lot less environmentally friendly than the pipeline. But Donald Trump, and he signaled this during the election. I think probably made it pretty clear to the um, to the army that no no more delays. And so that's big news number two. You have a lot of the protesters who are now upset. But bottom line is the Dakota Access uh, Pipeline. Um, they've got the final permits. It should be completed relatively soon, and that will be good for energy independence for the United States. It will be good for helping keep fuel prices low, and it is a common-sense approach to things. That's big story number two. Big story number three. Melania Trump reaches a settlement in a libel lawsuit against a Maryland blogger. Now, politics is not beanbag. That's the cliché. And if you get involved in politics, you have to know that there's going to be all sorts of people out there that are going to write terrible things about you. And if your husband gets involved or your wife gets involved in politics, I guess you just kind of you know, come along with the ride. And we know because some people just hate Donald Trump so much that, you know, your kids come along with the ride, too. So you have comedians who think it's appropriate and amusing to make fun of 10-year-old kids. So that, that's that's what comes. There are limits to this. Now, during the middle of the campaign, because a lot of people did not like Donald Trump, you know, Melania Trump became a target for a lot of scorn. And that's and, and, and that's OK. I mean, I guess that comes kind of with the territory. Here's this this trophy wife, et cetera, et cetera, of the president. And, you know, she's not fit to be first lady. And that that's all. That's all well and good, but but there are a limit. There is a limit to what can be said and what cannot be said, and we're going to discuss that coming up next. I'll tell you what the blogger wrote, and I'll tell you how the case has moved through the courts, and we will discuss whether or not she is entitled, that would be Melania, whether she is entitled to some sort of money damages. Stick around. It's 914, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine sixteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, here's the deal. There's this political blogger. His name is Webster Tarpley, and last fall he he starts. And the guy's kind of out there. He's a Princeton University graduate. Um, he has he has written all sorts of things on his blog that he passes on. He goes after. He decides to go after Melania Trump. You know, last year. Um, in in his blogs, he starts talking about things like how um, she was essentially an escort for hire. She, you know, th- things like that. I mean, she was essentially that she was a prostitute 
and things like that um, that turn out to be completely and totally untrue. Um, He accused her of committing crimes, again, being a prostitute, having a disease, engaging in conduct and characteristics or conditions that adversely affect her fitness, um, various things, horrible sorts of things that he put in the blog, all of which were untrue, all of which were untrue. His defense was, well, I was just passing on rumors that, that, you know, other people heard. I, I heard it out there on the Internet that she once worked as a high-end escort. So I just, I published it. I, I went with that. All right? I, I, yes. So I, I said that, but these were just rumors that I ended up passing on. Well, she turns around and, and she sues. And she says, hey, these statements that this guy are making are 100% false and tremendously damaging to, you know, her reputation. I wasn't a high-end escort. How dare this guy accuse me of doing this? Well, his response was, okay, I admit that this stuff wasn't true. I admit it wasn't true, but I should be protected to say these things. Like I say, these are just rumors that were going around. So I just, if I pass them on, I am not accountable for this. At least that was the argument he made. Well, the um, and he also issued an apology saying, okay, the stuff that I put out there, it, it was not true. I, I apologize for that I just passed on other stuff. Well, the story yesterday, so she she sued the guy, and she's now apparently settled the lawsuit. He's apologizing to her, her family, and according to a statement that's issued yesterday, he will be paying her a substantial sum of money. He wrote, I posted an article on August 2nd, 2016 about Melania Trump that was replete with false and defamatory statements about her, uh, including the fact that, you know, she worked as a, as a prostitute. So he says, there is no legitimate factual basis to make these false statements, and I fully retract them. I acknowledge that these false statements were very harmful and hurtful to Mrs. Trump and her family, and therefore I sincerely apologize to her, her son, her husband, and her parents for making these false statements. There will also be a cash settlement. Some people are concerned about this because the argument is, this is chilling the First Amendment right of speech. If people who write blogs, if they are now going to be held accountable and perhaps subject to lawsuits based on stuff they say or stuff they pass on, the argument goes, this is going to, again, chill the discussion. If you've got some guy sitting in his underwear in mom's basement and he knows that he could be sued and have to write out a check, if he passes on false stuff well it will hurt the public discussion 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage toll-free talk line the guy essentially calls mrs trump a hooker high-end hooker no evidence to do that just passes on rumors as if they were fact she sues him she is now going to recover should people be allowed to make those sort of accusations without being held accountable or is this a case where you want to say to Mrs. Trump, go, gal, you know, you don't have to take that. And if people are going to write demonstrably false stuff about you with no evidence and have it seek to damage your reputation, yes, you should be entitled to sue and you should be entitled to collect. Did Mrs. Trump do the right thing by going after this guy? And should he have to pay? 
is the settlement right? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We discuss next. It's 921. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This blogger um, out of Maryland puts a blog up essentially accusing Melania Trump, Mrs. Trump, of being a high-end hooker. Um, no factual evidence behind that. It gets widely circulated. His defense was, well, there were all these rumors, and I, I, I was just passing on rumors. I shouldn't be held accountable. He has now issued an apology and apparently has issued is going to be paying a large settlement. They're not saying spe- exactly what the money is. Some people are outraged. They're saying, well, okay, why would you pay? Why should Melania Trump get money for this? She's a public figure. You should be able to say whatever you want about her. Katie on the east side. Katie, you're first. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Jeff. I think that I, I have to wonder, and maybe the journalism rules don't apply to bloggers, but whatever happened to the old, uh, you know, the instruction, double, triple, check your sources before you publish anything. Well, I'm sure the guy didn't care about his sources. I mean, it, he, I'm no. sure he just, I mean, he's one of these sort of guys that's, kind of out there in the weeds, sitting there in front of his computer, putting stuff up there, and he doesn't care whether it's true or not. He doesn't like her, and he wants to get clicks on his website. So what better way than to go on the post the web saying, hey, she's a high-end call girl. Um, right. I, I'm sure he didn't care about the truth at all. Yeah. Well, I guess he's caring now because it's costing him something. I, and you, you had made a comment about would it have a chilling effect on, a, on the public discussion or mm-hmm. discourse. My thought is I think it would have a great effect because if it's going to hit you in the pocketbook, yep. you're going to be a little more careful about what you say. Katie, I could, thanks, I could not agree more. I hope it does have an effect on the public discussion. Now, look, I... I understand, you know, the, the different rules, and I understand if you're a public figure that you have, there's there's higher standards. But, yeah, if if you have, for example, defamation or libel laws that are going to apply to somebody who writes for a newspaper or somebody who does commentary, you know, on TV or another electronic medium, I think it applies to bloggers as well. And the idea that some of these people can just sit and write whatever they want, say whatever comes into their mind, pass on whatever rumor comes out of the fever swamps, and pass it on as fact and not be held accountable, yeah, I think actually the public discussion improves if you hold people accountable for saying false things. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Pete in Green Bay. Pete, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's about time that people get uh, be held accountable for things they say when they have no facts to back it up. Right. And I think especially when they're hurtful. I mean, it, okay, especially, and this isn't an opinion. This guy is saying she was a high-end call girl. It, it's not like he's saying, I don't think she's attractive or I think she's uh, you know, an airhead or whatever. It wasn't a statement of opinion. He's passing Absolutely. on things that say you know, that she was engaged in criminal activity, that she did things. And um, so you've got no sympathy for this guy. None whatsoever, and I think it's great, and I hope that they can do more of this. Um, it's, now, time, it's time to stop it. Right. Th- thanks for exactly. And see, and that's it. I don't think this chills legitimate discourse. But if it makes people, whether they're on the right or the left or whatever, if it makes them think twice before the so-called citizen journalists hit that button 
and, and publish it. Because look, here's the reality: at, at a lot of the big news, I think probably at all the big newspapers, at most of the TV stations, you know, if you're going to do certain pieces, there, there's lawyers that are on call, and you run this by the lawyers, and the lawyers vet it, and they ask you questions about, okay, can you prove this? Can you prove that? All right, somebody sitting in mom's basement, or some 71 year old guy sitting wherever in Maryland, who's just again in the fever swamps. Um, yeah, th- there's no sort of vetting. They don't care about whether it's true or not. All they care about is, gee, if I say Melania Trump was a high-end call girl, is, is that going to help me get clicks? Is it going to draw attention? Well, okay, fine, but you- you're going to get attention, but there's also going to be some degree of accountability. Peter in Oshkosh. Peter on 620 WTMJ, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I mean, just switch uh, Mr. Trump's name with Michelle Obama, <laughs> and, and the guy would have been flayed alive. <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah, right. If you had published a similar piece saying, "Oh, you know, she was a high-end prostitute," you know, back in back in the day. day. But I mean, how many on news stations on MSNBC? How many times do you see bloggers on there? People that have a great blogger tell. As soon as you want to put yourself out there and and, and get people to subscribe to you, you have to be held accountable for the stuff you're going to put out there. Right. Yeah. See, I see. I I agree with you completely. I think I think the same rules. They, they do apply, and they need to be applied to the people that, again, are the so-called citizen journalists. And I have no wish. I think it's great that you've got everybody out there that's writing their blogs and is presenting information. But the same standards, I think, that apply to somebody that writes for the Journal Sentinel or that does commentary on TMJ or whatever needs to apply to the people, uh, again, who are there in front of their computers. Um, and and if, you, if you defame somebody... And, you know, you, you meet all the qualifications. Yeah, I think you should pay. And, look, I appreciate that Melania Trump pro- probably doesn't need the dough, but it's more on principle to say to some of these toads that are out there that are doing it, stop, you will be held accountable. I completely agree with you. And congratulations on the morning show. Oh, You're doing great. Oh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it very much. And it's getting easier to get up at 5 in the morning. Um, let's talk to RJ in Kenosha. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Jeff. Hi. Uh, love your show. Thank you. And uh, just wanted to tell you that for the sole reason I agree with everybody that's called in so far, this is strictly defamation of character. Right. And for that reason itself, I believe, yeah, should be held 100% accountable. And, and you don't think just because the guy's a, a deep-in-the-weeds blogger that he is somehow should be held to a different standard than, say, somebody who writes for the New no. York Times or whatever? Yeah. No, absolutely not. No, I, I, see, I, I agree. And again, I, I, I understand people have very strong feelings about Melania Trump one way or the other. But my God, this guy, I mean, he's out there saying she's a prostitute. All right. Well, if you've got evidence to say that she's a prostitute, fine. But he even admits, I had no evidence to say she was a prostitute. There were just these rumors, and I present these rumors as fact. Well, okay, if you're going to do that, buddy, you know, you have to understand that you are going to be held uh, accountable. Now, I understand that this goes on a lot. Matter of fact, you know, some people are emailing me or saying, saying well, okay, how does account for the National Enquirer. Well, the National Enquirer gets sued all the time. I mean, the, Na- the National Enquirer, I, I, I know that they've got, like, attorneys on staff. If you see it, you have people that are suing the National Enquirer all the time. Now, it's tough bringing a defamation lawsuit, especially if you are a public figure, and she probably is a public figure, is very, very difficult because you have to prove, like, actual malice and things like that. But if it meets the standards, I just don't think bloggers should be exempt. And the truth of the matter is, if that makes people a little bit more careful before they hit publish, I think that is a good thing. Greendale might be buying a lawsuit. I, I've said this before. I, as I think back... Over the course of the last 20 or 30 years, and I try to think back, you know, what's the what is perhaps the biggest technological development? And, and I think it has to do with with cell phones. 
Um, it used to be. We talked about landlines yesterday. You know, if you if you wanted to make a cell phone, you want to make a call. You you had to have a phone at your house, and if you were on the road and you had to call in, you had to find yourself a payphone, and you had to have your credit card and all those different types of things. Landlines are going the way of the dinosaur. Um, payphones are now pretty much extinct. I don't know if there is any. I, I don't even know if you go on the airport, you can find a payphone that, that's there anymore. Maybe, but certainly not too many. Why? It is because everybody has cell phones. Now, cell phones started out really kind of like as car phones that were there, and now that they've morphed into the they're ubiquitous. We all carry them around in our pocket, and they're not just cell phones now. I mean, they're the, the computers. They, they are computers, and it's amazing when you look at the capabilities of, of cell phones. You know, you can you can check your email, you can search the internet, you can do pretty much anything from your cell phone that you can from you know your your home PC, and that's something that was just unthinkable you know several decades ago. There is, however, a catch to cell phones, and the catch to cell phones is you need to have you need to have reception, you need to have cell phone towers. You need the cell phone tower because, I mean, that's how they transmit stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I think, especially in some rural areas, that you're always going to have landlines, at least for the foreseeable future, is you don't have good cell phone coverage. So you need cell phone coverage. We all want that. But you, you have to have a way of getting that signal to your phone. And that that involves cell phone towers, right? Cell phone towers. Well, as... As we get more and more people using cell phones and there's more demand, the companies, I mean, you, you don't want dropout spots. You want to have, if you're a company, you want to be competitive. You want to have your cell phone tower there, and you want to be able to reach everybody that wants to use your service. So you need the cell phone towers. The problem is nobody likes cell phone towers in, in their neighborhoods. So here's the deal down in, in Greendale. Um, it, it's actually T-Mobile. T-Mobile wants to build a cell phone tower um, on this property. It's going to be a 100-foot tower, and it's going to be built on this property that belongs to St. Stephen, the Martyr Lutheran Church. So they cut a deal. You know, T-Mobile cuts a deal with St. Stephen. We're going to erect the cell phone tower. You know, we will pay you. St. Stephen says, well, this is great. We're going to use the, the dough to do, you know, work for, where it's going to use it to support the church, and we're going to do work for the betterment of the community. Uh, money from the lease is going to go to homeless shelters, food pantries, a mission church in Tanzania, and other places. They say, hey, this is great. This is going to help us out. Well, the neighbors around the church go ballistic. Neighbors say, oh, this is terrible. You know, we don't want to look out our front window at, at a giant cell phone tower. And then there are some people who are saying, well, you know, we're concerned that there's going to be electromagnetic waves or whatever, and that, you know, if you put this there, it's going to essentially poison us all, despite the fact that there's not really any evidence that establishes that. But, but that's this concern. You know, we don't know. You know, there, we can find studies that suggest that may, this might be harmful, but we just don't want a 100-foot cell phone tower in the area. And so we, the neighbors don't like it. I mean, I get it. This is your classic NIMBY stuff, not in my backyard. I acknowledge I would not want to walk out of my house and look across the street and necessarily see a 100-foot cell phone tower. But at the same time, I'm probably talking on my cell phone as I walk out. So anyhow, there is a a public hearing um, in front of the Village of Greendale board meeting yesterday, and almost nobody shows up and testifies in support of this. 
Um, so what the board does is after the meeting, they essentially, they, they reject it. They deny the application for the cell phone tower. Now, here is the problem from the perspective of the village of Greendale. The state legislature changed the law regulating cell phone towers in 2013 because they, I think, were concerned with exactly this. You know, that you have these these local municipalities who respond to the not-in-my-backyard thing, and they just deny them. So there are very, very strict limits on the extent and the manner in which a municipality can turn down a cell phone application. Um, And quite candidly, I think a lot of people who look at this think that what the village of Greendale did yesterday, what the board did, is is ultimately illegal, that they really don't have the authority to do that, and they're just inviting a lawsuit that they will ultimately lose. But regardless of that, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. We need cell phone towers if we're going to continue to be on cell phones. You know, should communities have the ability to essentially say no because some of the residents don't want them in their immediate area? Or is this a situation where, hey, if we want to be able to talk on the cell phones, you've got to have the towers. It's the church's property. If the church wants to lease the land to T-Mobile and build a 100-foot you know, tower for the cell phones, that's the church's business, and the neighbors really have no business telling them no. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. The Greendale Village Board says no to a cell phone tower. My guess is they have invited a lawsuit, which I think there's a good chance that they're going to lose. But did they do the right thing in saying no cell phone towers because the neighbors don't like it? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. It's 945. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks are set to make Oshkosh the home of their D-League squad. Get the details of the deal later this afternoon, 1235, during WTMJ Today. All right, uh, Greendale Village Board probably has invited a lawsuit that I think there's a good chance they're going to lose by turning down this this idea. T-Mobile had signed a lease with a church down in Greendale to build a 100-foot cell phone tower in the back portion of the property of the church. Neighbors go ballistic saying, oh, this is terrible. Electromagnetic waves are going to be hurting us. You know, it's going to be an eyesore. We're going to move. And the board goes along with this, even though state law probably doesn't give them the authority to do it. So like I say, they're probably buying a lawsuit. But if we want to talk on cell phones, don't we need to have cell phone towers? And if a church wants to lease part of its property and make some money by doing this so they can do good works, you know, who is the village board really to tell them no? Glenn in Muskegon, Michigan. Glenn, you're first. Hi, Jeff. Hey, good to talk to you. Thanks for and, calling. Uh, even though I'm from Michigan, I really enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah. Um, I really think this is a no-brainer. I don't know what the big deal is. I don't think there's really any evidence that uh, the cell phone tower waves will cause any uh, health problems or anything. And, right. and we, we have cell phones all over, Glenn. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. I mean, it's it's yeah. not like this is a new thing. Where do pe- See, I, I think there's a lot of cell phone towers that people don't even know about. How do they think exactly. we get the reception? Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah. And, and the eyesore thing, I'm not getting that at all. I mean, uh, to me, uh, it, to me, it would be a beautiful thing to go out there and see this tower. You know, it's going to help your cell phone work better. Well, right. Well, exactly. I mean, well, we also, I mean, we have towers. We, we have towers that are, are all over, and this is going to be in the back portion of the property, and I think they say they're going to do as much as they can to possibly obscure it. But you know, I, I think you get to a point where I was just thinking about this. As I drive into work, there are, there are towers all between where I live, which isn't that far from where I work, and here. There are all sorts of towers that are, you just you don't notice them. Now, again, this look, and I, I appreciate that people of goodwill, I'm sure the very nice people down in Greendale who are concerned about this, but it strikes me that this is this is hysteria that is out there. And again, it's the classic not in my backyard. I want to have the cell phone that works, but heaven forbid that you're going to put something that's going to make it work in my particular area. And when it comes to the church's property, within reason, I think they should have the right to do what they want. So the village board, I get it, they're elected, they did what they say the constituents want them to do, even though it's probably not, like I say, legally allowed under the law. So I have no doubt that there is going to be a lawsuit in connection with this. And again, I, I don't, I'm don't, i not an expert in this type of law, but at least if you look at the statutes, I think even the people close to this say, I, I think Greendale is on pretty shaky legal ground. But the bigger point is, if if we give in to everybody and every little group of affected constituents who say, well, I, I don't want this tower, you know, next to me because, well, it's it, it might it doesn't look quite as good and I might have trouble selling my property or whatever. Well, there is this issue of the greater good. And if people are willing to surrender their cell phones, OK, fine. It's like folks who, you know, you, you turn on the lights and you expect the electricity to come on, but you don't want to see how the electricity gets there. Or you like to put gasoline in your automobile, but you don't want to see that pipeline that gets the gasoline there at some point in time we got to get over this not in my backyard this nimby approach and um, unfortunately the greendale village board at least in my opinion gave in yesterday it is 9 52 big news out of green bay we'll discuss stick around Nine fifty four, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WPMJ. Some local business leaders say it's absolutely critical to keep millennials in Wisconsin. The head of one of the state's key trade organizations has a new plan to attract and retain millennial workers. He stops by Wisconsin's afternoon news at four thirty four today. Coming up in about ten minutes, it's dealer's choice, which is one of the things I think is one of the most talkable topics of the day. It's a segment I call "Keep Your Pants On or Be Prepared to Go to Jail." So stick around. That is coming up in just a couple minutes. All right. See, I, I don't claim to be a reporter, but if I was, there, there are questions that I would ask. Okay, this is the story, and it's been reported on the – it's in the Journal Sentinel today. It's been reported on Channel 4 and things like that. Midnight Basketball League to provide safe outlet for Milwaukee youth. Here we go again. City officials hope that a new Midnight Basketball League being planned for young men between the ages of 17 and 25 will help stem the tide of violence that is claimed – three lives among that age group so far this year. Yes, Midnight Basketball is going to get the guns out of the hands of the gangbangers, okay? Beginning March 1st, Milwaukee Public Schools will host three 10-week Midnight 
basketball leagues at Bradley Tech High School. School officials announced, um, somebody with MPS says, we want everybody to know that MPS is well positioned to work together with others to do our parts. First league game is going to start March 1st. Each league will serve 80 to 100 participants. The league is a collaboration between MPS, the police department, the city's fire and police commission, the city of Milwaukee, the Bucks, and the Running Rebels community organization, and is part of MPS's district cares their their community experience. Uh, the superintendent says this is more than just about basketball. We want our community and young people to know that we have our doors open for them, and we are here to help support them. Tom Barrett says I'd much rather have us talking about basketballs than bullets. That's what this is about: basketballs over bullets. And then they're also going to have mentoring opportunities. As I read the story in the Journal Sentinel, and I, I looked at the news coverage. There was a question I had. Now, let me just go on record here. I, I, I have no issue if you want to have the midnight basketball stuff. If you want to do that, that that's great. Do, do I think that that's going to have any significant effect on, you know, gangsters shooting each other um, as they ply the dope trade or on carjackings or things like that? No. And I think it would be naive for anybody to really suggest it would. But I, I guess this is one of these categories where you kind of say, okay, what, what, what is the harm? Okay, you have 80 to 100 kids, and they're going, young people, 17 to 25. And at least for a couple hours, they're off the streets um, when they're playing basketball. So I, I, don't, I don't think there's – I don't think it's bad in that regard. But the one thing that, that I haven't at least seen in the stories that have been reported was the question that I would have been asking if I was there, which is – how much is this going to cost? I mean, just, just how much? Because obviously there's going to be a cost. Um, what, are, what are the resources that are going to be used to do this? Because that, again, is the question. I mean, how much is this going to cost? If this is something that you're putting together for free or that there is only a nominal cost for this, well, okay, then, then again, even if you don't think it's going to necessarily accomplish much, what's, what's the harm? It, it can't hurt. I do think that's the category. On the other hand, if this involves a significant switch of resources from perhaps other programs into midnight basketball, I think it's kind of fair to say, all right, is this the best way to go about it? And are the people that we are serving, the folks that we think that we're going to be able to get in to play basketball at, you know, at midnight at Bradley Tech, I, is this the best use of, of resources? If this is a nominal thing, again, do I think it's going to make much difference? Do I think that you're going to see a violent or dramatic drop in the rate of carjackings and murders and shootings and assaults in the city of Milwaukee because you're offering you know, a few weeks of midnight basketball? My answer would be no. But, again, who cares? It can't hurt unless unless there's a huge cost factor. And I don't know. I can't make that judgment one way or the other because at least based on the reports of this, you know, nobody's talking about what the actual cost is going to be. So um, the headline is Midnight Basketball League, League to Provide Safe Outlet for Milwaukee Youth. Um, 880 to 100 participants, according to MPS. All right, maybe it's a good thing. You know, may, maybe it's not going to make much difference. We'll see. But I would be interested to know how much it's going to cost, if anything. It is 9.59, coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Keep your pants on or be prepared to go to jail. 10.08, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I call this segment Dealer's Choice. We do this this time every day. It's one of the, It's a story that I think is perhaps the most talkable story of the day. Not necessarily the biggest news story, but one that I just find incredibly interesting. 
It is the tale of a guy named Cody Herrera from Idaho. All right, here, here is the deal. In March of 2015, Herrera pled guilty to raping a 14-year-old girl. I mean, here here is the deal. He met, in 2014, he met the girl when he was 17. She told him he was, she was 16, is really 14. All right, so she lies to him. After they began spending time together, is the euphemism we will use, her mother finds out about this, and mom doesn't like the 17-year-old boy sniffing around her 14-year-old daughter. And so mom says, hey, she is not 16. She is 14. She's not allowed to have a boyfriend. Stay away. All right? So they, she lies to him at first. Mom sets him straight. In March of 2015, after he now he turned 18, so he's 18 and she's either 14 or 15. He knows she's 14 or 15. Mom has told him, Stay away from my daughter. He sneaks into her bedroom through a window. She said she thought he was there to watch a movie, um, but he he wasn't, and they end up having sex. Uh, The age of consent in Idaho is 18, so this is... They don't, tech, they don't use the term statutory rape anymore, but that's what, what this is. And there, there's no question he knew that she was underage. So he gets convicted of the sexual assault of, of this minor. He apparently tells the judge. Now, now he is 19. He's showing up for sentencing. He tells the judge that he has had 34 separate sexual partners over his lifetime. <laughs> My producer Hondo just yeah, wow thirty four. He's nineteen. He claims to have had thirty four separate sexual partners. And my guess is I'm going to believe him because if you're in front of a judge being sentenced on statutory rape charges, my guess is that is not something that you might want. To, the, the number of of people that you have had sex with is not something that you want to inflate under those circumstances. I mean, it's one thing maybe if you're sitting around the bar and you're talking to your your buddies and you want to say, I've had sex with 34 women and I'm 19 years old. Okay, maybe that gets you some street cred or something. But when you're being sentenced for statutory rape, if I was the guy's lawyer, I I would advise him to downplay that. I'm just saying that. Well, anyhow... This does not sit well with with the judge, who actually says that he's he's never, I have never seen this level of sexual activity by a 19-year-old in in my life. And, you know, I mean, I was a child of the 70s and stuff. I, I, 34 by the time you're 19, but leave it to that. But in any event, so among those 34 is this minor who he is now raped. And there's no question that he knew she was a minor, like I say, mom had told him. So. He's there for sentencing. He pled guilty to statutory rape. And so here's here's what the judge does. The judge sentences him to 5 to 15 years in prison, in an indeterminate term. And that's, that's what judges do a lot. They'll, they'll say, I'm sentencing you to prison for X period of time. And then there's a gasp and they pause. And then they say, never mind. So the judge says, I'm sentencing you to 5 to 15 years in prison. Pause. But, 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 I am going to suspend the sentence. And the condition is, first of all, you have to go into this rehabilitation program that's, 
I don't know what you're going to rehabilitate the guy for. I don't. I don't know how you teach him. You know, don't don't have sex with small with with underage girls. But he's got to go into a rehabilitation program. And as a second condition to this, um, he is not allowed not allowed to have sexual relations with anyone unless he is married to the person. So no premarital sex. If you're ever on probation with this court, a condition of that will be you do not have sexual relations with anyone except who you're married to if you are married. Um, so in other words, you've got to complete the program, but then in lieu of going to prison for 5 to 15 years, no sex with anybody unless you get married to them because I want to put a stop to this. And if you do have sex with anybody and we find out about it, then you're going to prison. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. All right, does that, does that strike you as being an unreasonable condition of probation they're not requiring that the guy get fixed <laughs> they're they're not requiring that he take drugs which like suppresses sexual appetites but they are saying the judge is saying while you are on probation a condition of the probation is no more premarital sex is that unreasonable because i will tell you you've got a lot of the aclu types who are completely up in arms how dare you tell this guy what he can do sexually does this bother you? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1014, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten sixteen, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. The new look bucks take the floor tonight, hoping that Spencer Hawes, Roy, Roy Hibbert, and Chris Middleton can help get the team back on track. Is their involvement more important than we think? Greg Matzik examines this evening on Sports Central, starting at six oh seven. All right, the deal is: guy who claims to, by the age of nineteen to have had thirty four sexual partners, convicted of sexual assault, statutory rape. He's eighteen. The girl is fifteen. He's put on probation, but a condition of the probation is he not have sex with anybody, um, no more premarital sex, or else he's going to go to prison. Is this an unreasonable restriction? Jason in New Berlin. Jason, you're first. Good morning. How are you, sir? Good. What do you think? You know, I understand what they're trying to do, but the way they're going about doing it, I think, is probably unreasonable. I don't think it's within the rights of the judicial system to say that you know an individual basically has to constrain themselves to societal norms and that uh, you have to have sex when you're married. I mean, it's, I mean, I understand the notion, but the notion's kind of archaic for one and for two. I mean, it's, it's well, imposing is the, something that's unreasonable. Is the, now, of course, you say it's unreasonable. The alternative would be the judge could have sentenced him to 15 years in prison. So, I mean, I mean, in which case you would assume that he, he's not going to be having sexual relations, you know, per, period. Um, so, I mean, is is that if, if you can send somebody to prison for 15 years where you know at least they're not going to be out on the street meeting women and having sex with them, is, is, is that a better alternative or is there anything wrong with saying is a condition of staying out of prison where I know you're not going to have sex, um, I, I, I'm going to let you on the street, but you can't have sex there either. Maybe I guess I'd answer that question with another question. How would they even go about enforcing that? Well, that's a, I mean, that's a fair issue. Um, I mean, thank, that's a fair issue. I mean, my, my guess is, my guess is because people talk. <laughs> that, that, would be, that would be my guess, that somebody, 
you know, somebody's going to find out about this and somebody that he's had sex with or whatever is going to find out. And then you call the probation officer and then then it, it goes from there. But I mean, I, I, I do agree that, you know, you're not you're going to find out, number one, after the fact. And number two, it's probably a bit difficult to enforce. But but that notwithstanding. If you could send the guy to prison for 15 years where he's not going to be in a position, presumably, to have sex with women that he meets on the street and add to his 19, his 34 sexual partners at the age of 19, by the age of 19, you know, all right, if, if you can send him to jail to do that and to stop him from doing that, is there any reason why you shouldn't be able to put him on probation but make that a term of his probation? Um, let's talk to Mark in Brookfield. Mark, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Yeah, good morning. Uh, given that kid's level of arrogance with regards to even having the, the, <laughs> the smallest amount of respect for another person, yeah. if it were legal, they should have... Chemical, chemically castrated him. Yeah. Yes. And so you think, this, you think this sentence is just too soft? It, it's not, an, it's soft. not unreasonable. You, yeah. I wish I could have sex that much in a year. And, <laughs> and, 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 and for a kid, and again, he started this when he wasn't even 18. And that's arrogance to, to, to oh, yeah. voice that in front of a judge. Yeah, I would have been right. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I would like I say if I was the guy's lawyer. Um, thank, thanks for it. There, I, I understand that when it comes to um, boasting about sexual conquests, there, there, there's perhaps a, a tendency on the part of men and maybe women to to sort of in, to talk about and, and up the number a little bit. But that's like I was saying earlier. If there was a one particular setting that you think you'd want to downplay it, it's when you're being when you're being presented with uh, a sentencing after being convicted of statutory rape. Dave in Green Bay. Dave, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Thank you for taking my Thanks call. Thanks for calling. Uh, I have experience. I raised three sons. Okay, and they're all adults now in their thirties. Uh, how in the world is someone going to police this young man? And what's the stop some young woman coming along and saying, oh, get sex with me? Uh, you know, and the, the laws have not caught up the society here, and I'm going to side with young men in this world today, and I raise my young men to be very careful because 15-year-old girls today uh, are what a 19- or 20-year-old was when I was growing up. Yeah, but this uh, guy, but, but in fairness, the, the mother told him she's 14, Stay oh. away, and he didn't stay away. So I mean, this. Oh, I didn't hear yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. No, thank. No, I mean, this was right. This now in the beginning, she told him she was sixteen, he was seventeen, and they started getting together. Mom finds out. Mom says she whistles him in and says she's fourteen. She's not allowed to date. Stay away. He then sneaks into her room one night and you know has sex, whether whether it was consensual or not. It, it, under the law, it can't be consensual because it's like the statutory rape. Now. In the real world, whether she consented or not, but as a matter of law, when you're 14 or 15, you can't. But I've got no sympathy for this guy because it's very clear. Mom said she's 14, stay away, and he chose he chose not to do that. Um, Alan on the South Side, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think? That has to be unconstitutional. That sentence. That's cruel and unusual punishment. Plain and simple. Well, if it, it, what, explain to me why, if the alternative was he could send him to, the judge could send the guy to prison for 15 years, and, and that would be perfectly appropriate, why would this be cruel and unusual punishment, in your opinion? How do you constrain the most basic urge of humanity? Well, you, you put him in prison, I guess, for 15 years where you're not going to have contact with, with people. 
I think the judge is out of his mind. Has he done this before? Has it worked? Can you make such a thing work? Well, that's a, I mean, that, that's a fair question. I mean, that, that, that's a fair question. I mean, and I don't, I, I mean, it, it, you do it as a condition of probation. And, you know, the person has to agree to that because if the person says, no, I, I'm, I'm, it's, I, I can't, I can't control myself. I, I mean, I'm just out on the streets. I can't control myself. I've had 34 partners and I'm 19. So now I want to go have, you know, if I'm on probation, so I can't control myself. That's always the other option. The option is, okay, well, fine. You can't control yourself. We're going to take you off the streets where, we're going to put you in a place where I don't know that that's going to stop you from being able to have sex, but it's going to stop you from being able to have sex with the general population. Um, I think this is an interesting thing. If, if it were me, I wouldn't have fooled around with it. If, if it were me, I would have sent the guy to prison because I agree that it's almost impossible to enforce. But I, I, see, I guess I don't have a problem with this thing in theory because it is a condition of probation in lieu of going to prison. But But bottom line... Bottom line on all this is mom tells you she's 14, don't sneak in the window and try to have sex with her, whether it's willingly or unwillingly. And I don't know, somewhere maybe around the 10th or 12th partner, maybe uh, maybe you should just recognize that, you know, you, you're not a bunny rabbit. You're, you're, you're a person and maybe just a little bit of responsibility. It is 1024, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in less than 10 minutes, some open carry advocates get more than they bargained for and they are upset. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. Twenty-seven, Jeff Ratner, 620 WTMJ, the legend, the icon, the piano man, is coming to Green Bay this summer. Want to win tickets to Billy Joel at Lambeau Field on June 17th? Be listening to my show all this week for your chance to win a pair of tickets. And and head to WTMJ.com right now to enter to win a premium pair of tickets for the show. In addition, um, we, we announced yesterday that this new podcast project that we're launching it's it, it centers around i guess podcasting my show and podcasting sports central with greg Matzik. but also there's going to be all these other new podcasts people you don't hear on the radio but have interesting and and sort of diverse opinions on things and different perspectives it's really kind of very exciting and we're launching it you can check that out at wtmj.com as well all right news out of green bay it's it's not surprising but it is it is unfortunate, and it demonstrates, I think, pretty clearly what happens. See, I never mind. When these football players get paid big money, I never mind because, first of all, none of it's guaranteed. And secondly, it's one of those situations where one play, one hit, and your career could be over. Um, I, I don't think this should be surprising to anybody. Sam Sh- Sam Shields, who started out as the number one cornerback for Green Bay this year, who was really the only guy that had any major speed um and his loss i mean i think hurt the packers all year he suffered a concussion in the first game of the year against jacksonville and it was i think the fifth concussion that everybody knows about maybe there was more and and he just never came back from it he could never get out of the nfl's um concussion protocol so he sat out the whole year um, announcement today is that the Green Bay Packers, and, and this is no surprise, he's got a year left on his contract. He's owed $9 million if he played. But the Packers have decided apparently to to cut him, figuring that he's really probably, 
never going to play again or never should play again. The Packers have, to their credit, been very, very conservative over the years with regard to medical injuries. Um, they, they don't take chances on, on players fearing that there's going to be like lifetime injuries and things like that. So, I mean, Shields said that he still wanted to pursue his football career, but apparently, you know, the Green Bay Packers have just decided, you know, we're not going to take a risk and we don't think it's his interest, his interest. So he's a free agent. He can sign somewhere else if some other team would take him. And again, he had a very, very good career with the Packers. You hate to see something like this end. But at the same time, when, when you hear all these stories about all these injuries that players have and how bad it is and all the problems with concussions, you know, after, after five or more concussions, including one that keeps you out for the entire season, you're, what, 27 years old or whatever, maybe it's just time to think, you know, I've got, I've got a lot of life ahead of me, and maybe, maybe I just want to take all the dough that I've made and figure out how I'm going to spend the, the next several years of my life. I mean, there's always ESPN, right? In any event, Sam Shields being cut by the Packers because of the medical situation. This, of course, does not help their situation at cornerback. Um, priority in the draft or through free agency or whatever is finding cornerbacks who can cover and can run. Coming up in just a couple minutes, open carry advocates walk into a police station with loaded rifles. What could go wrong with that? Jeff Wagner, 620 WPMJ, medical marijuana become legal in Wisconsin. One of the state's legislatures is behind that effort in Madison stops by Wisconsin's afternoon news to explain why. That's at 521 today. We discussed this yesterday, and I understand that there are you, you might disagree with me on this, and I understand that in some respects I'm, I'm going against conservative orthodoxy. There, there are 28 states right now that allow medical marijuana, and I believe Wisconsin should be the 29th. And, the, and I will tell you why. I guess it's just having, from personal experience, dealt with you know someone who, who receives a terminal diagnosis and has... You know, if you have, for example, if you get a cancer diagnosis, you, know, you will have doctors that will prescribe appropriately so, you know, heavy duty painkillers. I mean, heavy duty opiates. And, and the idea is because if somebody is facing these significant issues, what you want to do is you want to make them as comfortable as you possibly can in however much time that they have left. You want to try to control the spread of the disease, but you also, in some cases, people get diagnosed with stuff that's just, it's not curable. It's not fair, but it's not curable, and it's the reality. So what happens is you get the doctors, and it becomes a quality of life type of, of thing. And you have doctors prescribing pills for this and pills for that and pills for this. And I guess I've just always looked at the medical marijuana issue as saying, okay, if you can if you can hand out Percocets and you can hand out you know 90 uh, oxycodone pills, codone pills at a time, you know, heavy-duty narcotics – and you can give people all sorts of stuff to try to deal with nausea from chemotherapy treatments and all. If if some medical marijuana, if smoking some medical marijuana is able to help people's nausea go away or, or help them eat or just relax them a little bit, you know, why not? I mean, why not? I guess the only argument I hear against it really is, well, that they think that this is going to be a backdoor way to legalize pot and you're going to have people who are going to be, you know, going into doctors and getting prescriptions for medical purposes when, you know, they really want to use it um, for recreational purposes. And I guess one way to avoid that would be you, you set the criteria for what you could prescribe it. That would be number one. But number two, I just wonder in the 28 states that have medical marijuana, is that really a factor? Because my guess is, again, that the 19-year-old stoner that wants to 
wants to smoke dope in mom's basement and, you know, wakes up four years later digging hash brownie out of his ear, you know, finding out that his little sister just graduated from law school. That, that, that person, I don't think, is going to be going to the doctor to get a prescription for medical marijuana. They're going to be down, you know, in the alley outside the, the bar, you know, buying, buying pot from their suppliers. I guess I, that's just so that's where I come down on it. But anyhow, uh, tune in this afternoon to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. This happened the other day in Dearborn, Michigan. We have, in this state and across the country, an ongoing debate about the ability to carry firearms. I was a huge advocate of of the, I think, for concealed carry. I, I think people with appropriate permits and the right training have every right in the world to carry a firearm. I was a strong advocate of that. And we were the 49th state to adopt this. And I remember when we were having this discussion, right when it looked like the thing was going to get passed, you had some gun rights advocates who decided to take it another step. They said, well, we shouldn't have to have concealed carry permits. We, anybody should be able to carry a gun anytime, anywhere they want without even having to have a permit. And I, I candidly, I got into a couple of big arguments on the radio with that because I'm thinking, oh, my God, for years and years, I, you know, I've been one of these people advocating concealed carry with permits and things like that and and i think the general public supports it and now you know you want to argue that anybody anywhere should be able to have guns with no government restrictions at all and that continues to go on now in michigan there is no law that says it's legal to openly carry a firearm there however there's also no law that prohibits this um, so there, there's a memo out there from the Michigan State Police say it is legal for a person to carry a firearm in public as long as the person is carrying the firearm with lawful intent and the firearm is not concealed. Okay, so that, that's the background. So then let me tell you about something that happened on Sunday. Dearborn, Michigan, kind of outside of Detroit, right? Two men approach a police station in Dearborn, Michigan. One of them looks into the camera he was holding, so he's got a cell phone camera, and explains via Facebook Live, so they're Facebook Living this, what their intentions were. They claim to have been illegally pulled over about an hour ago, and they wanted to file a complaint. The guy who is talking into the the camera is wearing a ski mask. (laughs) Okay? So... Dark clothing, he's wearing a ski mask. Next to him, his friend is toting a camera on a tripod, and he agrees 100%. So they say, we were pulled over illegally, we want to register a complaint. So they're now filming themselves outside the the cop shop in Dearborn, Michigan. The guy then, wearing the ski mask, turns the camera back towards himself to reveal a rifle slung across his chest body armor, and a GoPro camera attached to his left shoulder. He says, we felt a little afraid for our lives when we were pulled over, so we figure we better protect ourselves. The pair, who describe themselves as open carry advocates, then enter the police station and walk through another set of doors. So they go into the police station. One of them's wearing body armor, a ski mask, and toting a rifle, okay? What could go wrong? So they go into the police station. Within seconds, and you hear this, they're, they're filming this all, a cacophony of shouts echoes through the lobby. Dude, put that on the ground. 
put that on the ground. The uh, camera then captures two officers at the end of the hallway appearing to point their weapons at the pair. Soon after, the video cuts off, but the phone continues to record the chaotic scene. Put it on the ground or you are dead, an officer bellows. I will shoot you. I will put a round in you, sir. Put that rifle on the ground. Another officer yells, what the hell's the matter with you? To which the guy is saying, it's all legal, sir. Shortly after the incident, these two guys are arrested at the station on Sunday. Officer sees a loaded AP-14 firearm, a rifle magazine containing 47 rounds, a loaded Glock 19 handgun with four additional magazines containing 66 rounds, body armor and ballistic vests, the ski mask, a gun belt, several pieces of camera equipment, an AR-15 rifle, and an AK-47 style rifle, according to the police department. So so these two yo-yos show up outside the police station, armed to the teeth. Body armor, one of them's got a ski mask, they're toting handguns, they're toting long rifles, the the semi-automatic assault weapons, uh, uh, filming all this, and they're masked. So they then go in, and the police react like the police react. They have now been arrested and charged with, um, again, a variety of crimes, including disorderly conduct, etc. The police say, we think that their actions were reckless. Um, There's a clear difference between the everyday protection and... um, Wearing a mask, dark glasses, visible body armor, and a rifle slung across your chest. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. All right, these guys are saying the police overreacted. You know, we, we have a right to openly carry firearms. We were openly carrying these firearms. We went into the police station, and look how we were treated, and now we're being treated as criminals. We are outraged. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Okay, regardless of how you feel about Second Amendment rights and concealed carry and things like that, do you think the police overreacted when two guys dressed in this fashion, carrying what they were, walked into the police station last Sunday in Dearborn, Michigan? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten forty-six. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. This is this story is getting national attention. Uh, last Sunday in Dearborn, Michigan, these two guys who are open carry advocates show up outside the Dearborn police station, literally armed to the teeth. Um, one of one or both of them wearing body armor. They've got ski masks on. They're carrying like AK forty sevens. One of them has like forty rounds of ammunition. One has sixty rounds of ammunition. Body armor. They go into the police station and the, the, they say they want to file a complaint. The cops then draw guns on them, put them on the ground. Um, the guys keep saying this is legal. This is legal. They're filming filming the whole thing. Um, they've now been charged with a variety of offenses: disorderly conduct, failing to cooperate with police, masking identity by obscuring the face. Um, there, there might be other stuff as well. But they're they're saying, hey, we we were just legally exercising our rights to carry op- firearms openly. Bob in Waukesha. Bob, good morning. Good morning to you, Jeff. What do you think? <laughs> You know, 
heretofore, I didn't think that there was a cure for terminally stupid. <laughs> but I think these two yahoos were right on the threshold. Yep. You, you can't fix stupid, as they say, huh? Wow. I mean, well, I guess, see, I mean, what bothers me about this, you know, Bob, and these guys are, I mean, they are, they, they apparently do this. They, they walk around filming themselves, trying to create a disturbance, and testing police response, which is all well and good. But I, open carry or not, you mask yourself, show up in a police station with body armor, toting, you know, armed arms. You know, you're you're, you're lucky you're alive. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that these, these officers obviously exercised extraordinary constraint. Uh, they, they should be summoned to the White House and receive some type of recognition. Uh, you know, I was a policeman for 29 years, and ah. I, I don't know if I could have exercised Oh yeah. Like oh yeah, you're you're sitting in your you're sitting in the police station on a slow Sunday afternoon in today's day and age, and two guys armed to the teeth, wearing body armor and ski masks, concealing their their faces, come into the place toting guns. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. No, th- thanks for the call. I mean, that's see what what drives me crazy about this, and this is from somebody who who does. I I believe that a lot of the hysteria about law-abiding citizens carrying firearms is just that I, I i do but the thing that bothers me about this there's many things but in one is is this plays into the worst stereotype that people have about folks who support gun rights that that everybody's crazy and i'm sorry to do something like this you've got to be a little bit nuts or maybe more than a little bit nuts um let's talk to mike in menominee falls mike you're in 620 wtmj good morning Good morning, Jeff. Uh, yeah, you, you hit the high points for me. I mean, I'm a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, and I, I think responsible gun owners, everybody would look at these people and say they are lucky to not be dead. Yeah. The, the police just shows remarkable restraint in, uh, in not um, uh, taking them out. But I think the other point is, in today's environment, when uh, law enforcement officers around the country are under siege yeah. for no apparent reason other than the fact that they're wearing a uniform, I can't imagine what these guys were thinking going in there like that. And as right. I said before, they're lucky they're not dead. I think I think it was completely insane on their part. And uh, as you said, gives responsible gun owners a black eye. Yeah, and, and I, I was trying to think. Now, obviously, I feel that way about the police station. You know, but I would extend that. You know, remember a year or two ago, you had the Yahoos who decided that they were going to, you know. To take their weapons and, and and walk into like the farmers market in Appleton, and they created disturbance, and they were just trying to provoke a response by the cops. I mean, I'm trying to think if these guys didn't go into uh, a farmers market, but le- le- it didn't go into a police station. But let's say in Dearborn, Michigan, they go to like a farmers market there, and they show up with body armor and the ski masks and the guns. Can you imagine what what sort of stuff, what chaos that would have caused? Oh, absolutely, and as, and you, as you said before, it perpetuates the myth that that. Uh, legal gun owners are all a bunch of uh, crazies, and that you know, at any moment right. there's going to be a shootout in the OK Corral anywhere, which is completely false. And there's right. <laughs> there's no evidence of that, or no, there's no history of that. But you know, the left continues to right. pound that particular narrative, and these guys just fed right into that. Right, exactly. And, and this idea, and look, I understand that there's a lot of vagueness. That exists when it comes to you know the open carry sort of stuff, and you always have those conversations about the restaurants where you have the guys that come in and they've got the guns on their hips and things like that. Okay, well, reasonable people can disagree about that, but guys like this, they're 
They are not about, in my opinion, exercising whatever Second Amendment rights they have. They are about trying to create and provoke confrontations with the general public and with law enforcement. And and that's why I, I just have absolutely no sympathy when it comes to this. I mean, you know, police officers put their lives on the line every day trying to deal with things. And the last thing you need is some people that are trying to make a point and make a YouTube video and maybe try to get the basis for some lawsuit. Hey, we got falsely arrested. Look what happened. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what the, the makeup of the population is in Dearborn, Michigan, but I got to imagine there's not too many juries in this country, regardless of whether you're, you're, you're pro-gun control or whether you believe in broad Second Amendment rights. I don't believe there's too many juries in the country. They're going to be too sympathetic to folks who walk into a police station armed to the teeth with with masks. Dick and Grafton. Dick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Boy, a lot of lot of good stuff said so far, Jay. But what a pair of whack jobs. Uh, I think these guys are really lucky that the cops gave them an opportunity to <laughs> to put the gun down. And uh, I, I've been through a citizen's police academy up in Shano. So I have a little idea of some of the training that the officers go through. But, boy, I'll tell you, um, yeah. these guys are lucky to be alive. Well, well they are. I mean, that, right. I mean, exactly. Thanks for calling. You know, and that, that would be one of the things that, you know, if, if, if you imagine the situation. Okay, so imagine you're the police officer. Let, let's say you got a guy who's been on the – this is Dearborn, Michigan. So, I mean, I don't know how big the police department is, but it's a quiet Sunday afternoon. Imagine that you've got a police officer, a guy who's been on the force or a gal who's been on the force for a year or two, and all of a sudden you see coming in the door somebody that is armed like this. Just Can you just imagine what the potential reaction might be? In any event, um, the man, one of the guys who's arrested, is now, again, they're, they're free on $1,500 bonds. They have now taken to the Internet. Um, guy says the guy with the mask and the body armor um, says, um, "Well, I, I just I'm not going to come out and ask people to send me money, but it's certainly needed." Um, says I, he'd accept donations um, to to fight these charges. Okay, let me give you some. Let me just give you some free legal advice from a recovering lawyer here and a big picture type of thing. With all due respect, if you can send this whack job any money. To help him defend these charges, that is God's way of telling you that you've got too much money. 1054, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is 1056, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. In less than 10 minutes, a soccer referee accused of sexually assaulting a girl out in the Waukesha area. That is not the dazzling detail of the story. We will discuss and get your comments. Stick around about that. Okay. Now, it it seems like when, when you have one body, one government body, that decides to just do something really stupid and wasteful, rather than learning from that, many times you get other government bodies that say, hey, we can do something just as stupid as wasteful. Now, 
for the last two weeks, the Milwaukee County Board has been debating this and then ultimately approved this useless resolution um, submitted by the, the former chairwoman of the board, Marina Dmitrievic, to you know, denounce discrimination in all fashions. And it was just it, it ranged from everything from Donald Trump to bus passes for senior citizens. And it was this kind of lefty screed. And it was it was debated for hours and hours. And my point was that if you want to wonder whether or not you really need a county board, the fact that we are paying people money to debate something like this, 95 percent of which has nothing to do with the business and the going-ons in Milwaukee County, it's just a demonstration of how useless the county board is. Well, all right, the word got out. Now the Milwaukee Common Council has decided to get in on this. On the wake of the county board's action, the city of Milwaukee has now gone on record as opposed to President Donald Trump's travel ban. Resolution the Common Council passed Tuesday on a 13-2 to vote. Mark Borkowski and Bob Donovan voting against it. Um... Again, it's this resolution, I'm looking at it right now, which essentially says, who is Donald Trump to say that dangerous people shouldn't be allowed to come into the country without being vetted? Okay, well, that's not quite what it says, but that's the bottom line. But again, here you have the City of Milwaukee Common Council, and Lord knows you've got enough issues you would think in the City of Milwaukee that would really require the attention of the people who make a lot of money overseeing the problems, like... Well, issues like jobs and issues like crime and things like that. But nope, Common Council had time to debate and then pass a resolution opposing the Trump travel ban. I'm sure President Trump is losing sleep. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. For everybody who thinks this discussion of sanctuary cities is humanitarian and a great idea, let me tell you the story of 26-year-old Christian Sanchez. Now, Fox 6 has reported this. I know Channel 12 has reported this. Let me tell you the story of this guy. He's 26 years old. According to the criminal complaint, which has been issued against him, and I'll tell you what for in just a couple minutes, on Sunday, January 29th, Waukesha police responded to the, I've been there, I think it shoots a building on Baxter Street near the Fox River. We just we, when we did the Operation Freedom, it was in that building. Nice place. So the cops go to the, this building, public building, where they speak with a 17-year-old girl. He is 26. This Christian Sanchez. The girl said she and her 15-year-old sister were at the building for her soccer game when her younger sister. This would be the 15-year-old. Um, said she was going to head out to the family's van to get a bag of chips. The 17-year-old said she became concerned when her sister did not return. The 17-year-old and her parents set out to look for the girl. The 15-year-old was located in a parking lot with an unknown Hispanic male who walked quickly to his car and drove off. The 15-year-old girl was interviewed by police and said the Hispanic man was a Miguel, Miguel Garcia, who she knew as a referee for soccer games at this this building. All right, according to the complaint, the girl said she knew the man. She's fifteen for four months, and that he had repeatedly asked for her phone number, which she eventually gave to him. Okay, mom and dads out there, right? If you've got a twenty-six-year-old soccer referee sniffing around your fifteen-year-old daughters, well, okay, that might, okay, red flags. But anyhow, she's fifteen. The girl said she and the man would talk through an app on her phone. According to the complaint, the girl said he would send her messages indicating that he loved her. 
eh, indicating that he loved her and even showed up at her school with flowers in January. At that time, she said they sat in a vehicle and that he tried to kiss her. Um, Okay. On January 29th, the complaint says the girl told investigators the man called her in the parking lot and asked her to walk towards him um, in his towards his vehicle. As they walked along the Fox Valley, Fox River, the girl told um, the girl told police that um, he opened his jacket, said it was cold, suggested she should pull closer to him for the warmth. Um, she then said that he touched her inappropriately. I will not describe how, but okay, she's 15, he's 26. As they walked to his vehicle, she became he became frightened when people looking for the girl called out her name. <laughs> okay, all right. And then he scrambled into his vehicle and drove off. On February 5th, investigators responded to the Milwaukee County Sports Complex near 60th and Ryan Road in Franklin, where they found Sanchez refereeing soccer games. The complaint says he told investigators that he could be identified with his Mexican consular ID, an ID with the name of Gustavo Sanchez. When investigators conducted a more thorough background examination of him, they learned his true identity. And his true identity is uh, this Christian Sanchez. He's not a, you know, Miguel whatever. He's, He's this character. All right, but all right. So here you got the idea: twenty-six-year-old soccer referee sniffing around these fifteen-year-old girls, showing up at her school, telling her he loves her, arranging these meetings for things like that. All right, it gets better. It turns out that he has an outstanding warrant from Milwaukee County in a case from two thousand fourteen. All right, so outstanding warrant from Milwaukee County, obviously. You know, he's a fugitive to an extent, but they're probably not looking at him very hard. But it gets better. It turns out that this 26-year-old soccer referee with the outstanding warrant for Milwaukee County has been deported twice to Mexico. He's been deported twice. He's back in this country. He's refereeing kids' soccer games, and he is sexually assaulting 15-year-olds under an assumed name. Now, I understand that, you know, we want to be a caring, understanding nation. I understand that, you know, we, we talk about sanctuary cities where we say we don't want law enforcement, to, we don't want our local law enforcement or local authorities to cooperate with immigration. But what the hell is this guy doing back in this country? If he had outstanding warrants, shouldn't somebody be notifying some authorities that this is somebody who's been deported multiple times and he needs to go back? Or is it really in our interest to allow him to stay in this country so he can sexually assault 15-year-old girls? And I guess as an aside, is there no background check that is run on referees for kids' soccer games? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. Okay, so now the guy is looking at a child enticement, sexual assault of a child under the age of 16, and all sorts of serious things. But, but seriously, isn't this the argument 
for why we don't need to have sanctuary cities? Isn't this the argument, this the argument for why everybody should be cooperating with federal law enforcement to identify people who are in this country illegally, in this case repeatedly, to make sure immigration has a chance to do what they need to do. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. There is so much wrong with this story that you just don't know where to start. But from an immigration perspective, here you have somebody who's been deported twice, who's in this country somehow refereeing kids' soccer games, and at the age of 26, hitting on 15-year-old girls. And and what are we supposed to say? Oh, well, we shouldn't be cooperating with immigration. 414-799-1620, We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1115. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, fair question. number of people are emailing saying, all right, well, okay, the guy, you said there's an outstanding, he's an illegal alien, he's been deported twice, he's here in southeastern Wisconsin, he's working as a soccer referee for kids' soccer, and you said that there's an outstanding warrant that nobody had apparently notified immigration officials about. What, what was that warrant for? Um, outstanding warrant, Milwaukee County, He's charged with beating his wife in front of three children. And now you've got this guy sexually assaulting a 15-year-old. There is so much wrong with this story. Um, Greg writes, Jeff, if I'm anyone in that community, I'm boycotting the soccer club or facility. Um, what are they doing hiring an illegal alien to referee children's soccer games? Well, I don't know about a boycott, but I do think that is kind of a fair question that – you know, of, of the universe of people that you find to, to you know, referee children's soccer games, it's an illegal alien who's been deported twice, who's using an assumed name, who's, um, I guess, facing outstanding charges for wife beating. 414-799-1620 is the number. Eric and Racine. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, this is just awful. On so many levels. You're you don't awful. even know where to start. Right, absolutely. And one of the biggest things I would do if I was the parents, uh, Milwaukee has been more than outspoken on becoming a sanctuary city and county. Right. I would go after the city and say, hey, fine, you want to be a sanctuary city, sanctuary county, here's the consequences yep. with a guy who should have been not here at all for a third time, right. and you guys want to protect us? Fine. Now my daughter's been sexually assaulted. This falls on you as the county and city for okay. uh, letting this scuzzball continue and protect by protecting him oh but eric you know eric don't you understand if if this is going to be terrible we're going to be crushing we're going to be just destroying all these people's rights if we if we notify immigration that there's a guy who's been here in deported twice who's you know wanted for wife beating how terrible we're going to be violating his rights this is just awful they're probably more worried about getting a political vote in a couple of years when they're up for re-election anyways. Well, they are, but, rem- but see this, I mean, thanks because, see, this is the flip side of that. This is that story which underscores when you have all these sanctimonious lefties who talk about how, well, we shouldn't cooperate with immigration laws and we shouldn't do this and that and the other thing. This, this is the other side of that. This is the guy who has been deported twice 
who is an undesirable alien by any stretch of the imagination. This is the type of guy that Donald Trump is talking about as being a bad hombre. That's okay. And, and if that offends somebody, sorry. This is not a guy that should be in the country. And if Milwaukee County had him and charged him, and he's on the loose since 2014 with wife beating, and they knew or should have known or could have known that he was in this country after being deported, they should have at least notified federal officials so they could do something, maybe participate in looking. And by doing nothing, they allowed this guy to roam free on the streets and get into a situation where, again, now now you've got him accused of sexual assault of a 15-year-old. Plus, again, I, I can't get past the, he's a soccer referee? Soccer referee? Um, you know, seriously. Let's 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. I mean, really. Let's talk to uh, Jim in Oshkosh. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I just want to... Uh Good morning, Jeff. Thank Hi. you. Um, sure. Just wanted to, uh, a little story in uh, the, our, her past was uh, I know someone who had a convicted felony of about 25 years ago for cashing a $600 check. Okay. That it didn't belong to him. Okay. Yes. Shouldn't and, do it, uh, but it's shouldn't do it, but it's 25 years ago, and it's <laughs> I mean it's it's probably not the worst thing in the world. Shouldn't do it. You got to be accountable. Okay. Got it. You would, you would, you would think that. Yep, you got to pay for this. Right. Uh, since then, he's become a great citizen. Uh, does a first responder thing, and uh, recently, he has not been able to even be a chauffeur in his fourteen-year-old daughter's field oh. trip because of what had happened twenty-five years ago. Because can't pass the background check because it comes up can't. that he's got a felony conviction. Okay. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so I, I'm not laugh. I'm not. I'm laughing with you. Okay, so what's what's wrong with this picture? You got somebody 25 years ago gets gets nailed with cashing a stolen check. Responsible citizen, no repeat conduct. He can't. He can't be a chaperone or, or drive uh, kids to a field trip. But you've got a guy who's deported twice in this country. Outstanding warrant for wife beating refereeing soccer games with small children or with 15-year-old girls that he sexually assaults. Hmm, what's wrong with that picture, Jim? <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, it, it, it thanks for, well, amazing, thanks for your call, my friend. Amazing is, is one word. I'm not necessarily sure that that's the word I would use. But that's, I mean, see, that's what we're, this idea that we are not going to cooperate on, on all different levels. And, and here, you know, we want people to, you know, we, we want people to feel comfortable and we don't want people to worry about, you know, whether or not they're going to be persecuted by the evil immigration people. And we're going to we're going to pick and choose. Well, OK, if, if there was a conscious decision made not to notify federal authorities about the fact that you've got somebody who is wanted for what I think is a serious crime, you know, beating beating your wife. Um, who federal authorities may be able to determine has been deported twice, who doesn't belong in this country. If you make, if any city makes a conscious decision to do it, and then that person goes out and does stuff like this guy allegedly did, sexually assault a 15-year-old girl, well, there needs to be, I think, some degree of accountability. Jeff and Racine. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Sure, thanks for calling. So my wife is uh, she coaches our five year old and uh, Rasa Racine, um, but she went through a background check. Uh, mm-hmm. 
why aren't we getting the people on air that are actually passing these people through? <laughs> yeah, instead how, of how, just throwing up our hands in the air and saying, "Oh, sanctuary city," oh no, that's so bad. Yeah, there's going to be some holes, but then why aren't these people being held accountable? You mean the people that like which people? That are people letting him ref soccer games. I, well, I mean that that's like I said that I think thanks for see that I think that that's fair. That, that it is fair to say, how was this guy associated with a soccer program, with a record like this? That that is a fair question. I think that is a legitimate question. But I go back to perhaps the larger issue. What well, first of all, what is he doing back in this country? All right, so he snuck back in after being deported twice. He commits accused of committing a crime in 2014, and apparently. There, there's little or no communication with federal authorities. At least nobody's looking for him. Um, now, maybe maybe the fact that he had all these different aliases that he was using made it more difficult to do that. But, but the larger point of this is th- this idea that we should not be cooperating with law enforcement. Anything goes, and, and it's just going to be this sort of wild west if we allow law enforcement to talk is absolutely ridiculous. Now, thankfully... This is not as serious as the case where you had the guy who'd been deported out in San Francisco who is turned loose from the jail and goes out and kills the woman on the street. Thankfully, that's not as serious. But here you have, you know, the the, the sexual assault, at least alleged sexual assault of a 15-year-old girl by somebody who should not have been in this country. Somebody needs to wake up. 1126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So many different aspects of that story, all of them really, really bad. Eleven twenty-eight, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. Okay, as I'm venting about this story, I know. Okay, we're, we're asking, how could the guy be coaching? How could the guy get back into the country twice? How could he get nailed for beating his wife? Have an outstanding warrant. Nobody seems to know about it, so he's just running around the community for a couple years. How could he get a job? Or at least, I don't know if it was a volunteer or what, how could he be refereeing kids' soccer games in Milwaukee and Waukesha? Let, let, let's just add another one. Okay, this, this creepo is 26 years old. He's infatuated with the 15-year-old. A couple days before the alleged sexual assault, he apparently shows up at the girl's school. Did I mention she's 15? With flowers doused in men's cologne. He said he wanted to have the teen, the teen to have the flowers so that she would remember him. He showed up at her school. Now, I don't know all the details, but if he showed up at the school, somebody had to see him. Now, I'm just saying, if you're a school official and you're dealing with a 15-year-old girl and some 26-year-old guy shows up with a bunch of flowers doused in cologne to give to the 15-year-old, Shouldn't some red flag go up somewhere saying there's something going on here? I'm just saying there is so much wrong with this story on so many different levels that you almost don't know where to start. But <laughs> I, I don't I don't know what they do with schools nowadays. But I got I got to believe even back when I was a kid, if some 26 year old guy showed up at a high school with a bunch of flowers for a 14 or 15 year old girl. Even back when I was in high school, the cops might get a phone call. You don't, it's, it's a hell of a world. It's just a hell of a world. Eleven 
634. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Bucks not only welcome the Miami Heat to town tonight, but they also welcome back Chris Middleton to the team's lineup. He and his Bucks teammates try to snap Miami's 11-game winning streak. Ted and Dennis begin our coverage at 640 here on WTMJ. Uh, I was at the Marquette game last night, and Marquette once again underperformed and uh, struggling season. I know everybody loves the coach, um, and, and I, I think he's very, very good. But um, truth is, this is the third year in a row and underperforming team. And um, some point in time, they got it. Some point in time, they have to start winning consistently. You know, they, Marquette has this big week where they beat Creighton on the road and beat number one Villanova at home, and then lose three of their next four games to teams that they should have beaten. And it's kind of a familiar pattern. I don't know if they're going to make the tournament this year, but they're not going anywhere, and it's unfortunate. Because you've got a prog- great program that spends a ton of money. And uh, I think at some point in time, Wojo, who everybody loves, but if he doesn't start figuring out a way to win consistently, I think um, I think he's going to have some issues. All right. But anyways, at the game, I was at the game last night, and you could tell the Miami Heat were in town because there were a number of Miami Heat players who um, come and were sitting courtside watching the game. When Dwayne Wade played for Miami, you know, he was a Marquette grad. He was always there. Um, so uh, a number of uh, Miami Heat players were there last night for the game. My voice is a little ragged. It's because it was a late game, and I was – I was cheering and screaming. They they were in the game until the end, and then kind of, kind of lost at the end, and ended up being a late night. But that's okay. All right, here is the story. The kid's name is Lamelo Ball. He plays high school basketball for this team out of Chino, California, Chino Hills, which is a really really good team. Their record, as we sit here, is twenty six and one. He's fifteen years old. His older brother is a freshman who plays for UCLA. Um, his name is, is Lonzo Ball. Um, there's also, he's got a middle brother who's on this, this same high school team, and the middle brother is apparently really, really good as well. He's the team's usual leading scorer, but he didn't play because of an ankle injury. So here's what happens. Uh, they, play, they play this team the other night, uh, visiting Los Osos. That's the team. Um, this would have been uh, Tuesday night. Uh, the team, Chino Hills, wins 146 to 123. Okay, that's 146 points. Not a lot of defense being played. That, that's high school basketball, four eight-minute quarters, all right? But, but here's the remarkable thing about that. Not only does the team score 146, but th- this kid, this sophomore, scores 92 points. And so this was all over Sports Center. It's getting all this attention. This sophomore scores 192 points in the the 23 point victory. Okay, so that's that's the story. What a talented kid! Look, he scored all these points. He made 30 of 39 shots from two point range, uh, seven of 22 on three pointers. So he was jacking them up. Um, 14, 11 of 14 free throws. Also had seven assists. So not a lot of defense being played. All right, um, he scored 41 points. In the eight-minute fourth quarter, so he had fifty, what fifty-one in the first three quarters and forty-one in the fourth quarter. The game was a blowout, but I mean it ended. It was only like twenty-some point spread, but it was kind of a blowout. So his coach going nuts about this, how great this is. The other coach had a different perspective. Here's what the other coach said. He said he called it a joke. He said that the Chino Hills players, that's the other players on the team with the kid who scored 92, were fouling on purpose 
trying to prevent his players from running out the clock and thereby denying Ball more points. So what he wanted to do was he wanted his team to, like, hold the ball. We're going to lose. So let, let's just hold the ball. Let's run out the clock. Let's not make this any worse. And his, his team, the other team, kept fouling because they wanted to get the ball back so they could give it to this guy so he could score points. Uh, the opposing coach says that's wrong. It goes against everything that this league stands for. The, the kids, the ball boys, that would be ball is in the family, are very talented and great players. But it's embarrassing to high school athletics. I've been coaching for 35 years, and we've turned high school athletics into individualism. It's amazing to watch a kid score that many points. But th- this isn't what high school athletics is all about. So he's very upset that he was just trying to run out the clock. And what would happen is the other team would foul his players so they could get the ball back, so they could give it to this guy, so he could jack up a shot. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now, obviously, scoring 92 points in a high school basketball game is an incredible accomplishment. Take nothing away from the young man who did that. But the opposing coach says this this was unsportsmanlike. It's not what this game is supposed to be about. This was all about individual stuff, trying to get this kid the record. We were just trying to get the game over with and go home. They weren't letting us do that. 414-799-1620, That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Does the coach have a beef or is this just, I mean, sour grapes? Is there anything wrong with the team saying, hey, this kid's going for this record. He's about ready to score 92 points. We, as his teammates, we're going to do everything we possibly can. We're going to foul the other team. We're not going to let him run out the clock. We want to get the ball back as much as possible so he can shoot and shoot and shoot. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Unsportsmanlike or, hey, this is just part of the game. 1140 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. And if you're on the line, please hold on. And I guess if, if you were involved in high school athletics or you've got kids that are involved in high school athletics or you've coached high school athletics, how how do you think you would have felt if this was either your kid's team or, you know, a team your kid was playing against? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1141 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 43, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Packers, Brewers, and Bucks, me, Greg Matzik, plus more from Milwaukee and others who are moving and shaking Wisconsin. Check out exclusive podcasts from all of us all the time on the all-new WTMJ mobile podcast platform. It's very, very cool. Now available for Apple and Android. You can download the podcasts, listen to this show, plus all sorts of other stuff. I know a lot of people behind the scenes have been working really hard to roll this out, and uh, now it's out, so check it out. Um, all right. If you're just tuning in, here's the deal. High school basketball player scores 92 points Tuesday night, and, and, and it's all over ESPN. It's this, this is great. He scored 92 points. His team ends up by winning by 20-some. The opposing coach is really unhappy because he says, look, we were just trying to run – this was a blowout. We were just trying to run out the clock, and the team kept fouling our players. They didn't let us do it. They just wanted to get the ball back so this kid could keep shooting. It would be the equivalent maybe in football of saying – all right, you've got a guy who scored a whole bunch of touchdowns, so in the fourth quarter, they, they want him to keep scoring touchdowns so his team just doesn't play defense. They're, they're head big, so they let people score so they can get the ball back just to feed him the ball. 414-799-1620. Is this unsportsmanlike? Kevin in Waukesha. Kevin, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks Hi, for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Hey, I just... Uh 
not more than 15 minutes ago, watched the highlights of this um, this game between Chino Hills and, and the other team. And I think something that is kind of omitted from this whole, uh, you know, blow up of the 92 points is the fact that Lamelo, after he would score, would stand under the opposing team's basket almost like a mock press. Yeah. <laughs> and the team would break the press, and then they would score, and they were just launch the Chino Hills would just launch the ball 70 feet down to Lamelo, who was standing under the basket. So I would say. 50 of his points came off of him not even getting back on defense. And I just, I think it was a joke to watch. And I don't know how anyone can enjoy that as a spectator. Well, right. And taking nothing away from the accomplishment of scoring 92 points. But, but if it's, if it's done in such a way that kind of, I I don't know, undermines the game. It's one thing if you're scoring 92 points in a competitive game. But like you say, if if, if, and it sounds like to me the whole thing was designed, he scored 41 points in the fourth quarter. Everything was designed in the fourth quarter just so he could get as many shots as he possibly could. It's high school basketball. I mean, eh, I'm with you. I think I'm with the opposing coach. This doesn't strike me as being bad. It doesn't seem to strike me as being sour grapes. It's more like, okay, why did you do something like this? Why did you feel the need, and what does this really accomplish? Yeah, and, and interesting to note is that they're coming off of their first, that 26-1, and one, that first right. loss just came in their last game. Right. And it's the first loss in two years. So having known that and now seeing how they reacted to it, it almost makes me happy to see. <laughs> yeah, that, thanks for your call. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. You know, a lot of times we have this conversation where it's, Okay, you, you have the big mismatches. You have the one team that's really, really good and the other that's really, really awful that happens sometimes in these high school games. And you have the game that's 100 to 2. And the issue is, you know, should, who, how should you handle that? Should you still have been playing? Should you have called off the starters? All those type of things. That's not really this story. This story is about a game that's out of hand and a coach that decides we're going to do everything we possibly can to allow one player to score as many points as he possibly can. Uh, Matthew in Milwaukee. Matthew, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, well, uh, uh, some more backstory. I'm sure you, you may have known this already, but his brother will be a top two or three draft pick this, this year. Right. Play, the, the, fre- the brother's a freshman at UCLA. The The middle brother is like the star on this team, and he's a sophomore. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and there's also video of one of the balls. I believe it could be the same one not crossing half court and taking a jump shot that goes in at, not at the end of a quarter as a design right. play. As a, as a, and so you don't score this many points unless you had this plan right. from the beginning of the game. You, right. you, and again, this kid is an incredible talent. He'll, he'll definitely be a, a, a top player in college and most likely make it to the pros. But there, you don't do this. You don't, you don't, you don't have this kind of outcome unless you've designed for the team to just sit back and watch one player score this many points. Yeah, 41 points in the fourth quarter, you know, an eight-minute quarter, 41 points. Think about that, right. you know. Yeah, that's, that's, so, poor, that's not just poor sportsmanship. That's not setting this kid up to do great things other than be a jerk. I mean, that's, <laughs> he's, he's going he's gonna to make it to a top-level program, and he'll already have been catered to 
Yeah, now, it, it would be a different story. When, when I first saw this, okay, I'm thinking, if he scored 92 in a highly competitive game that's on the line, and, and but but that's not what this was. This was, towards the end, it was a blowout, and like you're saying, this was just designed, the plan was, let's let him be, I call my nephew this, a, a, ch- a shameless chucker. Let's just build this whole thing around letting this guy throw up as many shots as he possibly can in order to try to, to score to get these records. And it, it, it just, I mean, it just strikes me as being wrong. <laughs> And it feels dirty, doesn't yeah. it? It, just, it feels almost dirty. And if you're if you're on that team, if I'm a parent of of the of, of, the, of a player on that team, I'm right. I'm I'm feeling dirty for my 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 well, team. How do you root for that? Well, well, right. And I guess I mean thanks. For, I mean, I guess the the alternative is the the other coach could have responded by fouling somebody other than this guy off the ball, and they could still be you know shooting free throws back and forth. But it, it's when Look, I, I understand if somebody's close to a record. Let, let's let's take football as an example. You know, somebody's close to a record. You're you know you, you need 15 more yards to get 300 yards and set the high school record. And the game's uh, kind of in hand, but still close. Okay, leave the guy in to get the 15 yards and then take him out. I mean, I I, I mean I I do understand sometimes if the records are there and it's close to you know you're, you're close to them, but that's not what this was. Mike in Fox Point. Mike, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I think the perfect analogy to this would be uh, Barry Alvarez and Ron Dane. Yep. And how Barry Alvarez insisted that Ron Dane not rack up uh, mega yardage, 300, 400 yard games against the cupcakes on their schedule. Right. Because he respected the record and wanted Ron to respect the record. And I think that same lesson applies here. Unfortunately, you had a coach that maybe doesn't have the maturity or the the uh, interest of the player at hand, and uh, taught the taught the player a poor lesson. Well, right, exactly. You know, th- thanks. You know, I, w- I was thinking, okay, in, in the category of of life imitates art. If if you've ever seen the movie Friday Night Lights, which is based on on, on the book, you know, it's uh, I got the author's name is escaping me right at the moment, but then it became a TV series. But essentially, it's this reporter who follows the, this high school football team in Texas for the entire season, and Billy Bob Thornton's in the movie. And actually, the movie's I read the book, and the movie's a very, very good depiction of this. But the, the team has this star running back, and the star running back through a, some mistake or a miscommunication, you know, it's like the first or second game of the year. He's in after the game is out of hand, and he tears up his knee. You know, at a meaningless point of of a game, and his his career is essentially over. Now, I understand that that's not exactly a perfect parallel, but it's like, all right, you don't need it. The game is over. Respect the game just a little bit. Bob in Delavan. Bob, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Hi, Bob. Hey, I this was back in the eighties. I'm going to mention when a high school team it was, but I was an assistant coach and. Kind of the same thing where we were getting destroyed. It was 90-something to 20-something, and the other team was pressing on us, yeah. and it just gave a bad taste in our players. We ended up walking off the court because the guy inbounding there pressing us, and our players threw it at the guy's face because it, it made them so infuriated, and we weren't going to lower to that. So all you want to do up. is run out the clock. <laughs> so, right, right. right. You're, we you're ended getting... up, you know, brought the worst out of our kids. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I guess I just look at respect the game. You know that that's regardless. You know, win or lose, just respect the game. Hey, thanks for the perspective. Um, it is eleven fifty-two. When we come back, we'll find out what's on what's on WTMJ today. Stick around, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. <laughs> 
It's 11.55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, we've reached that point in the day where I do not have to go home, but I can't stay here. Matter of fact, Eric Bilstadt. You're welcome to hang out well, with that, us. I appreciate that. Maybe I'll do that someday. I, I will, uh, <laughs> although you guys might think that's TMJ too much, Jeff. Okay, he's been <laughs> on since 8.30, still hanging out. Um, but the one thing about this, this new schedule is I hear there's this thing that people do called going to lunch. Ah, yes. And, and I mean, I, I did not do that for going on 20 years, and so... Actually, your your colleague and my you're going to take McCure, John McCure. Well, I'm not. I didn't say take John McCure. John McCure and I are going to lunch. Wow. I think we, I think the matter of fact, I think the last time we we went to lunch like one other time in all the years he's been here, and I think I took him. So it might be his turn. He might not recall that, but we'll we'll flip for it. But yeah, we're going to lunch. If there is a guy you could learn something from about going to lunch and how to take advantage of that lunch hour that quickly becomes a lunch ninety minutes. It's John Mercure. You have picked I, the right man. You see, and I, I, I have, and, and that, that is the I have, other than the fact that I have to get home and deal with the dog at some point in time. We got a dog walker for that. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm clear. So, I don't. Th- there might even be a beer at lunch for me. Oh, wow, you know? there you go, Jeff. <laughs> you know? You're really going to go, <laughs> especially if Mercure is buying. We haven't right. discussed that. Okay, Excellent. but on the way to lunch, I will definitely be listening to WTMJ today. Right. What do you got coming up? There is a lot to discuss today. Of course, we have the budget. It will be officially unveiled by Governor Walker at four o'clock this afternoon. We're starting to get some tidbits, a little bit of snippets of what he plans to discuss, and we'll get some reaction before he even starts. We'll do that during the four at one. Of course, their big news now popping out of Oshkosh, right? Oshkosh will be the home of the Bucks D-League. You know what's interesting about the D-League situation? Yeah, there's the team, but I, I think that's the side story. I think the bigger story is that you have the Milwaukee Bucks obviously doing huge things in the city of Milwaukee, new ownership wanting to invest into the state. You see it on their logo. You know, some of their logos have the whole state of Wisconsin. Here's them branching out, investing into a new city, in the Fox Valley, it's fantastic. This is great. Right, and, and then the follow-up to that is, I mean, this is exactly what Oshkosh needs. I mean, for, you know, to, something that can help, you know, revitalize that entire area. Mm-hmm. So, no, I mean, I, I look, I'm a cynic, but I don't see any downside to this whole thing. I You know, I, I just don't. And um, it, it gets some buzz going. It gets some construction going up right. there. I think it's, um, no, I, I just, I think it's tremendous, and you're, it's nice to see that happen. So I have more details on that. Plus, I, I don't know if you heard the story from this morning. Michelle Richards broke this story from a daycare center out of Oak Creek. Daycare worker no longer working there, charged because she broke two arms of a baby that was there. Yeah. And... The fact that it's still being discussed, they they pulled the license from this daycare center, so there's that aspect of it. But now the daycare center is applying for, you know, repealing this or whatever, appeal, if you will. Right, so the question being, was this just a tragic accident that occurred, or is there something broader and more widespread going on? And given what Michelle has learned about it, it... You know, that, that that line isn't so black and white. There's right. a little bit of gray there. Well, well right. I mean, you can... I, I I know nothing about it, and you don't want to be judgmental about one way. But I mean, there mm. there are occasions that accidents happen. Of course, you guys all raise kids, and it's something where, yeah. Yeah. all right, the, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you're not doing anything wrong, but the kid falls off the sofa, whatever. And and I'm not saying that happened here, but yeah. Oh, like 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 a lot of these stories, we're going to find out a lot more as it, it gets uh, released, if the details get released. The layers of the onion, if you will. Yep. Eric Bilstadt, Steve Scafiti, um, <laughs> WTMJ Today with Michelle Richards. All coming up. I am out of time. We do this again every day starting at 830. I will be back then. Stay warm. Have a great Wednesday. Stick around for WTMJ Today. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.